0: Few things are more important to sustaining life than water, and therefore all water has value. It requires a complex operational system to process and treat wastewater and to provide clean drinking water while simultaneously promoting environmental sustainability. A tough challenge that demands the best people, processes, and technology. At Jacobs, we refer to it as Intelligent O&M, or Operation and Management bringing together our deep-water domain expertise with the latest in AI-empowered tools. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese, and on this episode of If-Win, we explored intelligent O&M with two experts from Jacobs, Dr. Jennifer Baldwin, Digital One Water Strategic Growth Lead, and Joshua Registe, Data Scientist and Environmental Engineer. We discuss the concept of one water and how digital tools enable greater support for water management facilities and professionals, as well as the positive environmental impacts that digitally enabled water operations can achieve. So, Jen and Josh, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to talking with you today about uh, intelligent O and M technology and how it kind of folds into this concept of digital one water, which is something that Jacobs has, has really gotten behind. Uh, it's really fascinating to think about the, this whole idea of like water is just this this one unitive resource and how we use digital technology to to care for it and you know use that resource. So I'm really looking forward to uh, unpacking this with you today. We also I know we've Jacobs is recently uh, expanding its partnership with Palantir. The kind of the entree into that was our intelligent O and M product that we have deployed in concert with Palantir. So it's just really fascinating to see where the future of water management is going and how we're using these data tools. So uh, anyway, thank you both so much for joining me today and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Yeah. Great to be here. Thanks. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jen, let me start with you. And, you know, so I alluded to it just a little bit, but I didn't do it justice. And can you talk to us a bit about the concept of one water and how digital water or Digitally enabled water technologies help support the One Water approach?
1: So, you know, our One Water approach really starts with all water has value and it's all interconnected. And we have clients that we're working with that have just reams and reams of data they've probably been collecting for years and that they just keep adding to that data they collect. But what we found is they're not really using the data, they're maybe using 10% of that data. So, with our our digital one water approach, what we're saying is we can be that partner with our clients, our water clients, so to really turn that big data, as we call it, into actionable information. So, to me, that's really the, the crux of digital one water is is being able to use the digital tools at our fingertips to help us better operate our facilities, our collection systems, our wastewater treatment plants, water treatment plants, whatever parts of the water cycle that may be.
0: Mm. And you know so as part of that and I think it's really fascinating because just I mean you drop that 10% figure and I mean that's just amazing to me but you know I know that Jacobs is very uh bullish on um you know sustainability and positive climate efforts and you know obviously I mean you can't get more life essential than water oxygen and water that's pretty much the the big two I mean you start there so Jen, can you tell us a little bit about how Jacob's water-focused solutions, such as, you know, AquaDNA and Intelligent O&M, you know, how do those assist in water sustainability efforts?
1: So really, it's it's about being able to be more efficient in what we're doing. So I, I look at it as sustainability in terms of our operations, not necessarily, you know, in, environmentally, but mm-hmm. as well as with people. So I think, one of the big issues I see digital One water helping with, and, and AquaDNA and intelligent O&M certainly are two big parts of that, is we're able to almost use data as a surrogate for that operator that's been there for thirty years and who just retired, and mm-hmm. he had you know a logbook or a spreadsheet or he had things in his head that he just knew. Hey, I need to turn this valve here. Or I need to use this level set point there. When that knowledge, that human knowledge, is gone we can use the data the historic data and i think josh will be able to speak to that a little bit as well to then make decisions that help us train the next operator which to me is a huge part of sustainability right if we don't have operators that stay on staff we can't be sustainable in our you know keep our water safe for the public so to me like people is a huge part of that and i think that's where a lot of our digital approaches help is to just Almost give that little assist to the operators so they can do their job more efficiently. And then, you know, another piece is we're looking at what we're we're calling right now hybrid optimizer, looking for a better name for it. All of it, but is using a mechanistic model, so a process model, to then help us meet environmental and sustainability goals. So we may not want to spend thousands of dollars on, or tens of thousands of dollars in some of these sensors that you may want to have. But if we have a great, a good process model, and we have real-time data coming in from our, the sensors we have, we can use that process model to estimate our nitrous oxide emissions, for instance, and then that will help us to meet those environmental and sustainability goals as well. So it's it's kind of a two-pronged approach, I would say. Mm.
0: And then Joshua, now you are, you know, you're a lead data scientist, and you are. I understand kind of that one of the key architects or fundamental players in the rollout of the intelligent O&M product for Jacobs, which like I alluded to earlier, uses Palantir to the Palantir uh, AI technology to kind of help expand our, our offering there. Can you tell us a little bit from where you sit and, you know, having experience with this technology, you know, what are two to three of the top benefits that intelligent O&M, provides to clients
2: yeah yeah that's a good question paul you know uh the potential for optimizing treatment plans through machine learning and data science i think is really enormous right jen alluded to this earlier we have so much data being collected from different sensors or monitoring systems our laboratory information management systems uh, and using data science and like technologies that we've developed through intelligent O&M has helped us to really uncover valuable insight and patterns. And the same could be done for a lot of our clients. And right, just by example, we can develop predictive models that help us switch from our typical reactive style of operations to enabling something a bit more proactive in our decision making, predicting future conditions based off of real-time data, and more importantly, controlling to that future literally allows us to design a specific future that we want on any given day as it relates to water quality or consumption. So that's been very valuable. And another benefit, Paul, is the empowerment of our treatment plant operators, right? The ability to make these decisions in real time allows them to address challenges and prevent failures. And more importantly, it allows them to focus on their day-to-day tasks and keeping our critical infrastructure running that doesn't involve scrubbing through loads of data to manage process optimization. And then the last thing I'll say is because because we've garnered a lot of interest in this space, too, and it's pretty exciting. It's leveraging data to enhance predictive maintenance strategies, right? All of our plants, they have all this complex machinery, all these pumps and blowers and reactors and valves, and ensuring the proper functionality of a lot of this stuff is crucial. And again, analyzing our sensor data and our historical maintenance records and our real-time staffing resources, right? Our mechanics, our electricians, our maintenance staff. We can both identify the risks to all of our assets and also allocate the resource in an efficient way to manage those assets. And we've seen a lot of engagement and interest from our clients as it relates to that as well. Hmm, that's fascinating.
0: You know, and one of the things that I kind of have run into in some of these discussions, you know, in terms of um, using these data-enabled tools, you know, they they do wonderful, wondrous things. But part of like, I think part of a challenge that for clients is helping them understand how to how to fold this this super technology into their workflow right so it's like that maybe you have an engineer who's like been doing a certain thing a certain way for like 20 years and then suddenly this like cutting edge ai technology shows up on the scene and you know it's like helping helping him or her kind of understand how that can help them you know, and, and and they can fold it into their way of doing things. And I, and I think that, like Jen, you had mentioned, like uh, all this data that gets generated that's kind of been unused heretofore, but, you know, this technology can help you chew through that and really use it in a way that becomes beneficial. Josh, let me ask you, you know, as you've been working with clients, rolling out Intelligent O&M, can you share, you know, with us some interesting case studies or best demonstrated practices that have surfaced that you've you know you've seen related to intelligent OM?
2: Yeah, sure. We have uh, several interesting case studies at our facilities now. Right, the acceleration with Palantir has been great for us, uh, ranging from polymer optimization for dewatering processes, coagulant for phosphorus removal, or uh, managing nitrogen with lower optimization or disinfection processes. I'll talk to two types of optimizations or case studies that we've done, power and chemical. With the power optimizations, we have several models running live now at several facilities, such as Alguanueva in Tucson, Arizona, or Ovis, California, or Spokane, Washington treatment plan. And with these aeration optimizers, it's allowed us to manage nutrient removal across our sites, whether we're controlling for ammonia or nitrates or total nitrogen, while minimizing aeration and we're seeing anywhere from five to 20% reduction in power compared to pre-deployment. So one of the other interesting things about these power case studies is how scalable these solutions are. Um, We've configured it, um, and this kind of ties into uh, the later half of your question with best demonstrated practices, but we've generalized portions of our workflow that allow us to scale and iterate pretty quickly from site to site. But of course, there are some nuances between facilities, whether that be plant configuration or types of sensors or the size of the data um, that also have to be taken into account. So having the flexibility to fine tune those differences allow us to capture site specific benefits as well. And for the second application, the disinfection one, I like this one a lot because this is a nuanced problem that can have a lot of data limitations. And there's always the talk about, you know, we have a lot of data and a lot of it goes unused. And I said that earlier, but the flip side to that right sometimes we don't have enough data or we don't have the right data as it relates to a specific optimization so when you're talking about disinfection one of the main limitations might be that of bacteria right oftentimes when you're collecting that information at a plant it's a lot of zero zero based data which is hard to model against it's great for operations uh, in addition to that it's not bacteria data is not necessarily something that can be easily measured in real time mm-hmm. but in our intelligent o and workflows, we're able to demonstrate, uh, even with these limitations, that data science is very versatile, right? So with some sam- uh, careful consideration and sampling or data and modeling, we're able to successfully deploy these optimizations. And again, realizing over 20% at several sites now, and they're operating as we talk here. So that really makes a dent when you're spending millions of dollars on chemical for a year. So really good uh, use cases there.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, you know, so it's it's there's a supply chain uh, ramifications, like you're saying, like making sure that you're not, you know, incurring like unnecessary resource costs and things like that. But you also touched on energy consumption and I think sustainability and kind of that that energy footprint. And I'm sure there's like a a carbon footprint uh, ramifications as well, you know, as plant operations are more efficient. Let me ask you, Jen, you know, can you speak to and kind of elaborate a little bit on like potential energy consumption decreases and savings that can be realized through a smarter approach to how we process and distribute water to people?
1: Yeah, certainly. You know, as, as Josh was saying, we we've tested the these data models at wastewater treatment plants, but also, you know, in our drinking water facilities. We have to pump water, right? <laughs> we have to get it out into the system. So I really see that when we're processing water and, and getting clean water out, we can use these same principles that we've used for the wastewater facilities that we've used at blowers for aeration, use a similar approach at a drinking water treatment plant at their high service pumps. Can we can we maybe trim down a pump here or there and start to save some energy while we're while we're still serving our customers, right? We're still making sure they get the pressure they need, get the quantity and, and quality of water that they need. So yeah, I do think that that's definitely something that we we really can start applying. Like I said, we started with wastewater because, truthfully, we I think operate a few more wastewater facilities than we do water facilities. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely on our on our roadmap, I would say. In similar principles but i I, you know i I think in the clean water space we tend to use a little bit different terminology but it's it's still going to be we'll we'll still be using that smarter approach where we can we can still i think see some energy savings Mm -hmm. and also see some some potential benefits of You know, a lot of times in in water treatment and distribution, you can end up with with water age problems and that can can lead to some water quality issues. So I think there are some opportunities to look at how and when we're pumping water and look at high demand times. How do we get the water out and get fresh water out to people? But then conversely, during low water times, do we start to ramp things down a little bit more so we can maybe look at some of the water age issues that might be out in the system. Hmm. So there's, yeah, yeah, lots of possibilities, I would say. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, let's unpack that a little bit. And my next couple of questions for both of you, and Jen, I'll start with you. This is kind of about where we're going from here. You know, now that we're starting to deploy AI-powered technology and really kind of leveraging the data in ways that we really couldn't, or maybe, yeah, I'd say we really couldn't before, of technology uh, limitations. Now we can. Let me ask you, Jen, you know, where do you see the efforts to promote clean water and sustainability headed in like, say, the next five years or so?
1: This is like, I think, one of the toughest questions we can can try to answer. It's hard to have a crystal ball. I've I've had Mm -hmm. this discussion with a couple people. I really do feel like we're almost at the beginning of this digital revolution in water Where we're so early in what we're doing that it's, I think the sky's the limit really, but it's a matter of we still want to keep things in the control of humans. I would say, you know, I think there's still a little bit of fear of the machine, if you will. So I think in the next five years, it's really going to be about acceptance of our clients and our end users. I mean, if I'm drinking a glass of water, I want to have confidence that that is still good, clean, good quality water.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, as a user of water, I want to make sure that if someone's using a digital approach, that they're not compromising anything in terms of water quality. So I, I guess I would say in the next five years, as far as in terms of, you know, our digital approaches, as well as just looking at sustainability, the main thing I really see to be truthful is is merging some of these things. Like, really, I can see where digital one water is going to, you know, we can look at our water sources with our flood modeler platform or or other tools that help us to see how much water supply do we have? Where is it? How much mm-hmm. do we have? What's it look like? And then we can feed that into our drinking water facility. And then we can see what's coming into our collection system as well with AquaDNA. Mm-hmm. And then feed that into what's going to the treatment plant and really operate it as almost one system. You know, right now we have a lot of, I would say, geographical but as w- as well as administrative boundaries that that sort of limit how we apply one water or digital one water because you can have you know one city could have a stormwater utility a wastewater utility a drinking water utility in the water resource itself could encompass you know five or six municipalities or something like that so right now we have a lot of limitations as far as how do we actually try to apply this But I I can see, I would say in the next five years, moving more and more towards that one water approach. And really, we have to use these digital tools to be able to make that happen.
0: So it sounds like the the limitations are really maybe more systemic, like based on like legislative or regulatory, but like legislative or municipal, like this agency or that agency, they use different kinds of... Maybe the, the data is set up or tagged differently. And I'm not a data scientist. So right. you know, you're free to laugh at me if I kind of <laughs> get these terms kind of goofed up. But, you know, so it's like the, the limitations are more of like how things were set up initially. But right. now with this technology, we're starting to learn to talk in a common digital language. There's The systems are starting to operate together. And then people are starting to see. Uh, and appreciate the the benefits and the efficiencies that can be derived. And so it kind of pushes everyone toward a, a unified goal. Is that like kind of maybe a, a fair way to cast that?
1: Yeah, like my example is I'm a, I'm a sewer engineer. I'll start mm-hmm. with that. So as a collection system engineer, I work with countless utilities that have within their utility, wastewater utility, they have a department that runs the collection system. Mm -hmm. and they might even have a department that runs the gravity system and another department that runs the pump stations and another you know so they have all these departments with different staff and different managers and if they're not communicating across the board things will get missed Mm -hmm. and so this is really where i can see our our new approaches to this in the next five years helping because we can we can basically say well you have data everywhere What if we pull all of this data together and we help you operate your system collectively, your collection system and your treatment plant? Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: then we can help you solve some of those big issues that you've got out in your system by maybe we can maximize flow to the treatment plant. Or maybe we know the limitations of the treatment plant and we can make decisions out in the collection system to better serve the community. I mean, it's really what it's going to be about is protecting the public health.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely, and, and and we have seen too, you know, some of those, um, you know, those events where like water water protection has has become really important, obviously. And, yeah. So, Josh, let me let me bring you in on this kind of crystal ball discussion here, like where we're going from here. You know, what excites you about you know the most about intelligent O and M technology, you know, in the coming years.
2: What excites me about the intelligent O&M technologies in the upcoming years is the the curve that we're on technology-wise, right? I really like Jen's comment about acceptance in the future. And I think as more and more folks start to undergo these changes and incorporate these tools into their workflow, it really is going to catch on and it's going to really grow. And I think with these new workflows and processes, we're able to realize the value of data really quickly and at scale. And our ability to iterate quickly through these complex solutions and gain the experience and build our teams and collect more data is really growing. And the vast amount of interest from the industry as well, regulators, clients, and consultants, I think is only going to help continue to keep the momentum moving forward. So that's one exciting point for me. I think Another thing uh, that excites me a lot is the progression of language models in the AI industry, right? Uh, Just imagine you're an operator and you're taking care of a lot of different things that are going on at a wastewater treatment plant to ensure things are running. And you can just simply ask prompts that say, all right, based off of all the data and everything that we're ingesting and all the modeling that we have running in the background, What's the optimal dosage for the next three hours? Or what adjustments do I need to make for the next 24 hours in order to meet my compliance goals, right? And then mm-hmm. getting a detailed response that you can interact with and even visualize, I think is amazing. And we're having a lot of talks about that in the intelligent OM space. And then in addition to the data aspect of it, there's a significant uh, environmental benefit to these, right? You guys were talking about it earlier. When you think about power consumption in the U.S. or just across the utilities, uh, wastewater treatment plants, they comprise of a significant portion of our usage. And when we're optimizing 5, 10, 20% across our portfolios, that has a significant greenhouse gas impact. And similarly, when you're thinking about chemical usage and we're reducing the strain on chemical manufacturers or uh, supply chain or chemical waste, that's also a significant benefit to the environment, Paul. And that's very exciting to me.
0: Hmm. No that's amazing too, and it's like you don't know like what kind of waste we can avoid, and not just like you know the financial issue, but like the environmental impact cost until we kind of the systems the data is is talking to each other, and you know we're able to like really pull out you know literally pull out the intelligence from all this all this like masses and masses of data now josh you know you you touched on it here, and we we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but I think. What I am learning is is kind of key. Is again, it's the the concept of socializing the humans with this technology, right? It's like we can get really excited about these advances we're making in AI and things like that, but it doesn't mean anything if like operators and owners, and, you know, whatnot, decision makers are like don't want to use it or they're reticent about it. They don't understand it. You know, it's. They're slow to adopt because, you know, they see it as a barrier, you know, whatever. So Josh, from, from where you sit, what are some of the best methods that organizations should consider about how and when to deploy intelligent o m technology into their daily workflows?
2: Yeah, I I think I want to start off by saying not to be intimidated by the idea of a digital transformation or data science or machine learning or any of those buzzwords that we hear a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Organizations, I think they can get started by identifying some of the more quick potential wins for optimization for specific areas of interest to them, right? And then diagnosing the data availability and the limitations and then start to build in intelligent O&M incrementally. If you take a phased approach, that can allow you to be a bit more flexible, and it could allow you to realize value early without having to build all the components at once. These gradual improvements smooth the transition, and it can allow for a target targeting specific areas or processes within a treatment facility that can have immediate impact. And so breaking that transformation journey into smaller, more achievable goals, I think, makes the process a little less overwhelming and more manageable. Mm-hmm. Some of the questions to ask is, how do you drive success, right? How do you drive engagement? And it's been our experience that you have to keep the operators top of mind because uh, these valuable folks on the ground are the core of keeping our infrastructure running, right? And it's what makes these technologies successful. So being thoughtful uh, with the proper training and support ensures kind of a smooth transition and Uh, It addresses all concerns and it allows the operators to actively participate in the adoption. And ultimately, when this is deployed, everyone takes ownership, right? The entire team is empowered and more efficient because of that. So once all that happens, you've kind of started to realize the benefit of achieving some of these more low hanging fruit. And you'll be be able to demonstrate return on investments and then share your success stories and then further accelerate the, the growth in that digital space. Hmm.
0: Uh, and well said. I, I yeah, you know, I really appreciate that. Keeping the human you know front and center, being mindful of how your users are going to use it or not use it. You know what they're you know what they're looking for, and and how you can help encourage adoption. Yeah, you know, I think is going to be key. So. Well, uh, Jen and Josh, thank you both so much for joining me today and helping me understand a little bit more about Digital One Water and how we're using these amazing tools to, again, take care of this life essential resource and helping, you know, our great workers in the infrastructure you know, and water management industry do their job efficiently and kind of keep us all safe, you know, and also at the end of the day. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks lot, Paul.
1: Thanks for having us.